Good. There we are. That might have been the first prayer that you've ever prayed, perhaps. Welcome, if uh, you're new or visiting here uh, at Town Church. Uh, as Johnny said, this is our fourth birthday. One or two balloons are up. I think they're for us. I can only see about five balloons. Um, but here we are. Happy birthday, Town Church. For today, we're still here. I might sound self-congratulating on one hand, or rather defeatist on another, depending upon your perspective, but it's not going to be either. We're still here because of God's grace. And I want to tee up the whole of this book in Galatians by helping us understand that we're only here by God's grace. It's good to take stock On a birthday, it's good to stop and consider where you've come from and where you're going in life. Uh, And we'll do this as a church in different ways. Of course, we will review, we'll think, we've heard testimony uh, of people of the church that have been here right at the beginning, what it looked like at the start, what they most valued. Uh, We'll review. We've got a review meeting tonight over Christmas, some of the uh, staff of town church. We've got an elders meeting on Thursday, the whole day. The elders will go together. We'll review, we'll take stock, we'll think about where God has brought us from, where we're going, and all by God's grace do we remain. But you know the best possible way of reviewing is to listen to God's word, listen to his voice through his word, and assess. Here's our new series in Galatians. Paul writes to the churches in Galatia. Do you see that in verse 2? Do keep your little journals open because they'll be helpful as we work through uh, together. Look, Paul wrote this probably around AD 50, easily within 20 years uh, of, of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes with one key message, And you've seen it here. These aren't Paul's words. They're our words put into hopefully a concise, a concise, pithy phrase to remember. Only ever grace. We're still here. But it's interesting. And I think it's important for us to remember uh, if you're a one of those that catches up with Christian podcasts, Uh, you'll know that many podcasts talk about the church and how the church loses its way. There's one around Mars Church and Mark Driscoll that I know many of you uh, have interacted with. But so many churches, they seem to lose their way. Why? Why did we read of new churches in the New Testament too? It, It looks like time after time stumble and fall. Chris has said it, of course we're not perfect. Of course, over the last four years, there's been some highs and some lows. We've got things wrong. We have. But why do some churches slip away altogether? And therefore, as we think about that and think of the book of the Galatians, what's the danger to town church as we enter into our fifth year of existence? Uh, Let's be clear, there are many reasons why churches stumble. There are many reasons why churches fall. But history tells us that there's two main categories. One, there's some kind of disunity where the devil gets a foothold uh, and soon divisions and factions within the church drive the church apart. 
You might have some good examples of those. Let's not go into them now. But there's one reason why the church falls. The local church no longer exists. And here's the second reason. That there's some kind of distortion around the true gospel message. Liberalism on one side, the idea that salvation perhaps gives license to be anyone and do whatever pleases you, or or fundamentalism on the other side, morals, law-keeping, performance, become the things that save and fuel the Christian life. There's a distortion of the true gospel message. That's a reason why the church falls, splits, is no longer in a local place. Paul writes Galatians to deal with the latter idea, the kind of distortion that can make a church lose their way. Look at 1 verse 6 briefly. They have, look what's happened. They, they've, they've lost their way. There's been a desertion. Uh, 3 verse 1, they've been bewitched by some of the teaching. They've forgotten grace, which has saved them. And they're returning back to dependence on the law And it's outward signs. This is vital for town church to stop, take stock, and really consider where we're in danger of the church in a year's time no longer being here. It's that important for us to work through. The churches in Galatia are confused. They've lost their way. Does grace rule in town church? Do we see grace-filled people serving one another in church? Is the gospel of grace still being preached from the front? I think it's really hard for us to continue walking in grace against the backdrop of a society that says, perform. And keep performing. Competence really matters above everything. Your ability above others around you in in, in work. That will gain you the promotion above anyone else. Success. Performance, competence, ability, success. They're key components used to assess how people are doing. Think of the way that those words work out in Social lives, in your work life, in perhaps even family life. And it's hard to escape this way of thinking in this day and age. And the book of Galatians, I hope, will help us do this well. To consider these words and think, do we bring those words into play when it comes to the gospel of grace? Performance, competence, ability, success. Paul says, only ever grace. Let's go quickly. We've got communion together, which is a great celebration of four years, certainly. We're going to look at three things very quickly. Verses 1 to 5, Paul is saying this is the gospel of grace. Verses 6, don't desert the gospel of grace. And verses 7 to 10, don't distort the gospel of grace. So first point, verses 1 to 5, this is the gospel of grace. See, Paul, he states his credentials. Do you see that? Verse 1. He says, an apostle. An apostle is one that's commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. One that's seen the Lord Jesus face to face. We know in Paul's 
Paul's story, that's a special occasion. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Indeed, on the road to Damascus, you read about that in the book of Acts. He met Jesus face to face. And therefore, he's saying, look, I wasn't chosen or sent by men or by one man, but Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. Very different from me, Johnny, Sai. Yes, called to be leaders of a church, but but in effect sent by other churches and approved by other men. Paul was an apostle. He met the the Lord Jesus face to face. I am not. Johnny is not. Simon is not. Paul has been set aside, met the Lord Jesus face to face, and he's saying, they are my credentials. This is why I can stand and with such authority write to you, the churches in Galatia. He gives greetings and a description of the real Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives a description of who the real Lord Jesus Christ is. Remember that, is it rap song with the real Slim Shady, please stand up. You remember it, don't you? Eminem, I think it was, Johnny knows, of course he does. With the real Slim Shady, please stand up. You see why I wasn't a rapper and never will be. (laughs) And so Paul is saying, look, here's the real Lord Jesus. Would he please stand up? Here he is. Jesus, what did he do? Look in verse 4. He gave himself. He offered. That's translated that he, he willingly came. He wasn't ordered. He didn't come begrudgingly. He offered. He, he laid down his sonship in heaven and offered himself as a man who walked this earth. Here's the real Lord Jesus. Only ever grace. And look what he did. He gave himself, verse 4, for our sins. You know there are over 50 different words for sin in the Old Testament. Rebellion, self-righteousness, separation, going astray, disobedience, lostness, error, ignorance of God. 50 different words. With the real Lord Jesus, please stand up. He's the one who gave himself for our sins. Sins for my sin. Oh, how vile. Oh, how wretched was I. Caught in the dominion of darkness. Blind to my desperate state and the great need of rescue. Rejecting God with every thought and and sinew of my being. Wallowing in self-pride and pity. Indulging. In self, absolutely depraved and able to do nothing about it. See why Paul starts right at the heart with the gospel of grace. The real Lord Jesus, he offered himself to do something about my sin. Because of the desperate position my sin left me in. I'll never say never mind about sin. It never led a conversation with a loved one to say, do you know what, that's okay. It's not. It's why the King of Heaven came to this world. 
because your sin has left you in such a grave place. Look verse, in continuing in verse 4, to rescue us. Do you see that? To rescue us. So he says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Release from bondage. There's the picture. It's a strong verb. It's used in Exodus and with the Israelites from slavery. It's used Peter from prison. And it's used when Paul was was charged out of town by the hate mobs. It, 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 it's, it's rescue. It's release. And look what it releases us from. From the present age of the wicked one. From this present evil age. Not to take us out of the world. But to, to save us from the world. Christian conversion means being rescued from this this age and being transferred to the new age to come. See, his death was primarily neither a display of love nor an act of heroism, but a sacrifice for sin. Do you see the gospel of grace is that? It's not the best display of love this world has ever seen. It's not primarily that. Yes, it's that. But it's not primarily that. Nor is it a great act of heroism. It's sacrifice for sin. That's the gospel of grace. Jesus died and God willed it. We read there in verses 5 and 6. For his glory. See, it's only ever grace. It's only ever grace so that he gets the glory. I think if we contributed to our rescue, if we had rescued ourselves or seen something is deserving of rescue, then we would in part pat ourselves on the back for the part that we played. And Paul, right at the beginning of this letter, He says, here's the real Jesus. Please stand up and understand exactly what he came for. You had no part in your salvation, dear Christian. It's all due to the grace, the free gift of God sent in the Lord Jesus. Second verse six, don't desert the gospel of grace. Here is where Paul, he starts getting busy. I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The Galatians are are walking away from the true gospel that he's just written about in those few words. They're literally turning their back on it. And Paul is astonished. It's strong language. This is a little bit more than Victor Meldred. Do you remember Victor Meldred? Some of you might. Most of you won't. Remember his phrase, I don't believe it. And Paul is he's saying a lot more than that. This is stronger language than I simply don't believe it. He is astonished, gobsmacked, jaw dropping. How can this be? He writes to warn and rebuke and it's a warning to us. Don't desert. Why? Because it's all you have. 
Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, I'm never going to desert the gospel of grace. How can I desert from the gospel of grace? And do you know it's very rare that we see an overnight change in people's perceptions of what the gospel of grace is. Very rare that we see someone on Wednesday say, yes, I love Jesus. And on Thursday say, no, I do not. It's very rare, of course, that we'd see that. But it's, but it's gradual. It's like our apple tree going in the garden. Every two years I give a little trim. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing, but I just think the apple tree needs a trim. It's not bearing any fruit, and perhaps that's the reason why. But it looks out of order, and so I trim it back. It needs one, I think, um, now, two years ago. But I look out the window, I was there today, looking out the window of the apple tree, thinking, oh my, how much it has grown again. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. It's not like one of those um, speed cameras that I, I think there's a program on later tonight, isn't there? The Life of Plants, I think. It's not like one of those speed cameras that, that watches a plant grow over years and you can watch it in five seconds. That's not what happens when people desert the gospel very quick. It's like that slow-growing apple tree. It changes. But the change is real. I've got a friend who has now deserted the gospel of grace. And therefore, Paul says that he's deserted Jesus Christ. There's been a, a gradual U-turn. I remember that in our conversations about four years ago, there were one or two different ideas of what the gospel of grace could mean. He started talking to me about. And, and then a, a little later, there was more, more of an edgy view around cultural hotspots and saying he thought the Christian faith was a little outdated when it came to some Uh, modern ideas and views of humanity. And then there was a more liberal view around sin and its consequences. And then there was a denial that Jesus came to save him from sin. He thought that Jesus' life and death was more of an example of what real love is. He was a man to esteem, esteem to and to look up to. Gradually, over time. Four years. That was my friend's walk of desertion in gospel truth. Paul is saying, no, it's only ever grace. Only ever grace. Third, don't distort the gospel of grace, Paul says in verses 7 to 10. If Paul uses the words of astonishment in verse 6... Now there's an angry tone. Look, he's angry at a band of teachers that have thrown the Christian believers into confusion. At the end of verse 6, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. He uses this term, pervert, the good news of Jesus. That means to, to twist the gospel. So it lessens the seriousness of sin and its consequence. What's happening? We'll see throughout this book that as the Christians moved from Jerusalem and they spread out, then they were, of course, Jewish converts. And more Gentiles were becoming Christians. And we'll see that the teaching from those teachers are trying to enforce that All Christians keep practicing the traditional ceremonial practices 
and the laws of Moses. Things like dietary laws around food and, and circumcision. We'll see that as we work through this book. And we'll see that Paul is saying, look, if you want to add anything to the gospel of grace, it becomes null and void. It's like if you just wanted to add a, a piece of ham to a vegetable curry, it no longer remains a vegetable curry. It, it's that blatant, it's that obvious, says Paul. Add something. So you say the gospel of grace says, but you must do X, Y, and Z. Paul's saying, no, that is no gospel at all. And anything that is being taught that is not based upon the fact that we're too sinful to contribute to our own salvation or, or we are saved by the belief in Jesus' work, the gift of grace, anything that contradicts those things, Paul says, is null and void. Tim Keller, in his useful commentary on Galatians, suggests there are three dangers that the church must look out for. Here's the first. He says that some churches will teach that you're saved through your surrender to Jesus plus your right beliefs and behaviour. You're saved by a, a strong belief and a, a strong love and committed life. And it's all good until, you, until the individuals within the church feel that they must start generating a, a higher degree of hunger or sorrow or more love to get into Christ's presence. And in effect, Tim Keller says, the church could be teaching that you must work hard to stay saved. You're saved by the level and quality of the faith that you have. And Paul here in Galatians is saying, no, it's not the level of faith, but the object of which your faith is in. Secondly, some churches teach that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're a good and loving person. Leads to believing that good behaviour is enough for God and encourages people to, to think that if they're tolerant and open and accepting of others, then they're pleasing to God. And in effect, they're saying that they don't really need God's grace for eternal life. Not really God's grace, just good, moral, accepting, tolerant behaviour in society no the bible teaches about the depravity of everyone's heart and thirdly some churches are intolerant of small differences so dress or custom or tradition some churches insist on complicated rules and the observance of rituals as a as a higher place than the teaching of grace no, grace is the way into salvation and grace remains the way on as a Christian. Look, Paul, he says, verse 8, even if an angel from heaven came down and preached a gospel other than the one that we preach to you. That's what Paul is saying. If an angel came down from heaven and preached a different gospel, throw him out. Do not listen. The gospel loses all its power when anything is taken away from it or added to it in any way. Can I ask you as we draw to a close, what's your tendency? What are you in danger of taking away or adding to the gospel of grace? You might not be a Christian. What is it that you think Christians really believe? Is it something that you've got to do or something that you've got to perform or something that you've got to be at? 
Christian 10, 20, 30 years? Where are you in danger of adding to the gospel of grace so that God might accept you? So what Paul is saying at the end, verse 10, he's saying, look, I'm not in it to please man. I'm just not in it. Here's my story. And we read right at the end. Right at the end of chapter 1, he says, no, no. Here's my story so that others would praise God. Paul's testimony, not in it to please man. That was the accusation against him, more than likely. And so let's finish up. As we review and uh, reflect on four years, and some of you will be three, some of you two, some of you are here for the first time. What's your story? We're not going to go into those verses from 10 onwards as you read, and do please read from home, you read Paul's story. It's his testimony of grace. And it must be read, it should be read. It's time to revise your story. Is your story full of the gospel of grace? Is your story all about what God's done for you and is doing for you? It's the gospel of grace that has saved you, that keeps sustaining you. It's your ongoing story of salvation. It would be a great thing to do at the beginning of a year, as we reflect on four years as a church, to revise your gospel-centred story. What does it add to? What does it take away from the gospel? I'm going to enjoy going into Galatians and looking at the different ways that Paul urges, warns, challenges these churches. And I think that it's timely for us to make sure that we continue as a church in the gospel of grace. We're going to sing together living hope. And look, even in this song, it's a wonderful song, but look out for some of these words. Uh, There's a line that says, in desperation I I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And we would say as a church, yes, but be careful that it's not about me doing something. It's about what God has done for me. He turned his face to me and he turned me around so that I could say Jesus is Lord, even in songs that we sing all the time, we're saying, where do they take away from grace? Where do they add to grace? We're always on the lookout for words like that. So as we sing this song, it's in light of the gospel of grace doing everything for us. We cannot add and we dare not take away. Let's stand and sing this great song together.